in Romans chapter 2, it says, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. I open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. If you've been following along with us these last several weeks, I have been waiting for today to kind of just dive into Galatians. And we're not really going to dive into the full book, uh, the, the whole portion of Scripture, because I still have some things to kind of follow up on from the last few weeks. But I, I've given you a background and as to who Paul is. I've given you a background as to how he was called an apostle when there was only 12, minus Judas plus Matthias, and, and there's 12, and now Paul is the 13th apostle. I've given you some background on that. I've given you some background on who or uh, who the churches were. Galatia was not a place. It's more of a region like the Inland Empire. And the gospel message, uh, the gospel that Paul is so fervently trying to protect here, the gospel message that Paul is saying, I can't believe you guys have left that gospel for another gospel. Not that there is any other gospel, because there's only one gospel. And, and so in the process of going through this, I shared with you Paul the man. That was the first part. Uh, and and then, I, then I asked you, are you ashamed of this gospel? Uh, and, and so the gospel message, you see, it, it was a very difficult message to proclaim, especially in the culture that they lived in. For the Greeks, everything was about uh, status and symbol. And you didn't want to be associated with people that didn't have status or weren't people of symbol, symbolization or, or from people that were of lower class. And we saw in 1 Corinthians that Paul says, you know, this message is foolishness. It's, it's a stumbling block. It's, it's moronic. It's, it's, a, it's a message that, you know, it's just a really tough message to preach because you're preaching it, first of all, the Greeks, that they, everything that they look at, they elevate wisdom, but this doesn't make sense. There, Paul is preaching to the people of this, the highest echelon of, of, the, of, of the Roman Empire. These Greeks were, I mean, they were, they were at a point and at a level that they understood. And they talked about everything. And Paul comes in and says, well, you know, you guys are all wrong. And they look at Paul and they says, well, you know, you're just an atheist. What are you talking about? You only have one God. We have all these other gods. And Paul says, well, uh, Jesus Christ is God. He says, okay, well, tell us how he is God. Well, you know, God came down in human form and, and he gave his life as a sacrifice. What do you mean he gave his life as a sacrifice? Yes, he was murdered. Your God was murdered. Now, you got to understand the, the place where Paul was at as he's trying to explain to them who Jesus Christ is. And then to top it all off, he, he gets murdered and cru uh, crucified on a cross. And at that time, crucif crucif uh, uh, crucifixions were, were common. And everybody knew that only the, those that were the vilest offenders would get crucified. So to the Greeks, it was a, it was a stumbling block. And to, to the Jews, it was more of blasphemy. How can you even say that about God? And so this is the message that was given to just ordinary men. And they proclaimed it with all that they had. Now, you would think that this message that was supposed to be, uh, that is very difficult to preach in that time, in that culture, would probably given to people that were of, you know, some influence. But Paul says, no, no, I chose those, the low class. I chose the nobodies. I chose those that don't have any noble birth. I, I didn't, I chose those. Those are the people I chose. I chose people just like you and me. And to, to proclaim this message that is scandalous, to proclaim a message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. 
I, I implore you to, to look at that message. Are you ashamed of the gospel? And last week I shared a little bit about the gospel and said this is what the gospel entails. The gospel is really, and I have the outline here from last week, the gospel basically is, is given to people and, and, and shared, and, and they knew exactly what the gospel message was. A few things that I mentioned about the gospel is that the gospel is not feeding the hungry. You know, I mean, though this is what we're supposed to be doing, that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is not that God has a purpose for your life and, and he desires for you to fulfill that purpose. Yes, God does have a purpose for your life, but that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is not, you know, come to church and, and feel good or come to church and be blessed and let God just take care of all these things that, that which God does. He wants to bless you. He wants to take care of you, but that is not the gospel message. The gospel message from last week is, first and foremost, they proclaimed, and we'll see here in just a little bit, they proclaimed that God is holy, and we're not. God is pure. God is righteous. He is a holy God, and there is no one like him. And even the angels saying, holy, 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 and he's separate, he's different, and nothing, and no one can come to him or around him because he is pure and holy. And we know that if we were to approach God, we would die. That's how pure and holy he is. No one could stand in front of God. I use some examples as to what took place and how people had, were struck down because of their uh, just willingness to come forward and, and, and be a part of what God is trying to do. Moses, Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God says, I can't let you see my glory, but I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll come right over. And all Moses got to see was the back of God's glory. And he was illuminated. I don't know if he was radioactive or what, but he was shining because God just, just, just his appearance and this is God. You cannot stand in front of a holy, pure God. And the second principle that the, these people preach is that, you know what? You're not. You are not. You, we are defiled. We are unworthy. Behold, we are uh, unrighteous. In Psalms 51, the, uh, the psalmist says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother did conceive me. Paul says in Romans 3.10, None of us are righteous. No, not one. All of us have gone astray. And we all deserve the wrath of God. When God saw the wickedness of men in Genesis, he says that I, and I, I felt so bad. Look at the wickedness. And that's all that moves within their heart. Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are so deceitful and wicked that nobody can cure it. Who can, who can understand our heart? You've heard people say, well, I, you know, I want you to follow your heart or I follow my heart because the heart wants what the heart wants. The heart is wicked. And so over and over again, we're told that, that, and we see that we are a very depraved people. And with, with this depravedness that we have, this, and holy God, we cannot stand before God. And our problem is this, that is, if God is a just God, which he is, then his justice has to be administered to you and to me. And we stand there bare naked with nothing else except our sinfulness. The Bible is clear that he is pure eyes. They cannot behold evil. They cannot look upon the wicked. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate evildoers. God hates and despises those that do evil. And the Bible says that we are evil. That's our problem. If he is a just God, he has to deal with sin. And sin has to be dealt with. You see, if he wasn't just, and if he were to say, well, you know, just... You've been okay most of your life. 
You've been all right. I, I had this one gentleman once tell me, he says, you know, I believe I'm going to get to heaven by just, just being good enough. I think my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. And I know God because God wants us all in heaven and he's going to bring down and lower his standard just enough so I can jump over. God has a standard of perfection. That is his standard. We cannot measure ourselves amongst ourselves and you measure yourself against God's law. And that's why the law was written, not so that we can follow it, to show us that we are sinful people. We cannot follow that law. And so therefore, God had instituted the sacrificial system to appease, to satisfy, to propitiate that wrath, to give us just enough time to be able to, to pass by and pass through the, the wrath of God. The problem was is that everybody was trying to uphold the law and hold the law. And people were saying, well, see, I, I did all these. Well, you didn't do these. Well, I, I can do those too. Our problem is our biggest problem, that God is going to judge wickedness, sin. That is our problem. And if he wasn't a just God, he would be like an unjust Judge, can you imagine a judge? You go to court and you're there because this criminal has damaged, you know, something of yours has killed one of your loved ones. And the person in the, in, in, on the seat says, Judge, I'm sorry, I really didn't mean it. And we're all sitting there thinking, yeah, right. Doesn't matter whether you meant it or not, it happened. And the judge would look at the, the accused and say, well, you really, you sure you didn't mean it? Really, I didn't mean it. I'll do better. The judge would say, okay. You're set free. That would not be justice. That would call you into question the judge's motives and character. And what type of a judge does that? Was he paid off? He's a crooked and corrupt judge. God's justice has to be satisfied. And that's our problem, beloved. Many people come to church thinking, I can satisfy that judgment. I can just come to church and I can come and, and read the Bible and I can come and help and I can do all these things and God will say, okay, you know, I'll let you in. It doesn't work that way, beloved. No, this is why Jesus Christ, this is why the cross, this is why the gospel message is such good news. Because first and foremost, we, under, we have to understand that there is bad news. In order to understand good news, you got to realize there is bad news. And the bad news, Jesus Christ took care of it on the cross. Paul took every opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is pure. You are wicked. Justice is demanded. Jesus Christ paid the price. It pleased God, is what the Bible tells us. It pleased God to crush him. To crush him and to, to satisfy, to propitiate, to, to appease all that which God demands. And so my biggest problem is take, taken care of on the cross. And that's the one message that Paul says, and you guys are trying to add to that? You're trying to say that now, and we'll see this here in just a bit, that now that you're saved, now that you've got salvation, that now you have to do other things, like become Jewish? Who told you that? Who said you had to be Jewish, to be circumcised, to follow the traditions? Who said that? Paul is, is, is very very adamant about the gospel. And almost every letter God, excuse me, almost every letter Paul, he, he, he's always defending what he has taught about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. That's the gospel in a nutshell, beloved. 
Only the cross of Jesus Christ can save me. And so we have people that have come across and says, well, I've been saved. I went forward. I, I you know, I, I gave my life to Jesus. I raised my hand. I, I, you know, I've done all these things. So I am saved. Well, we're going to get into that. But let's go back to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. As I mentioned, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, the God, the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Uh, amen. Paul starts with his salutation. He says, this is who I'm writing it to. And he says, grace to you. And almost every, every other letter, he says, I commend you for the great work that you guys are doing. Here, Paul, there is no commendation. He just jumps right into it. From here all the way to the end of chapter 6, Paul is talking about the gospel that they need to preserve. And he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Father in heaven, thank you and help us to remember and to learn that there is no other gospel. The gospel never changes. It never has. And it's been an anathema that churches have watered down, have taken out, have made the gospel into something else. Lord, we know what the gospel is. You've taught us in your word. You've shown us what your gospel is. And it's an anathema for not even trying to proclaim it and proclaim that those without the cross can actually make it to heaven by just being good. So, Lord, we know that the gospel never changes. What we do know, and what some don't, is that the gospel changes us. And that change within us will reflect the genuine gospel, the genuine repentance that we have received and that we have been given. So, Father, help us to understand the second part, the portion of the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, repentance is a big part of the gospel. Repentance has been watered down as the gospel has. In churches, many places, they don't even preach the gospel that you have to die to yourself. They don't preach the fact that we are sinners. They don't preach the fact that Jesus Christ, only Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is only Jesus Christ, nothing else. And what takes place is once you hear the gospel, something happens within our life. And repentance is the very next thing that takes place. We'll see how Paul, excuse me, Peter had told the crowds, repent and be baptized. We'll see how John preached a gospel of repentance, how he preached repentance to, to turn away. And repentance is not denying or covering up my sin. There's nothing wrong. I'm okay. You know, it's just a habit. It's just everybody does it. It's no big deal. 
The gospel is not denying or covering up a sin. The gospel is not being sorry for what I've done. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, please forgive me. You have to forgive me because you're a Christian and, and I'm truly sorry. That, that's not repentance. Repentance is not promising and I won't do it again. I promise I will never do it again. That's not repentance. Repentance is not a prayer that you come forward and I prayed the prayer. I've repented. I even did it in front of everybody. I told everybody my story. I shared that with everyone. And so therefore, I've repented. Repentance is not even baptism. Okay, I got baptized. Therefore, repentance has happened in my life and I've been washed of all my sins and everything is done. Repentance, beloved, we can see this in the book of Luke chapter 3. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3. And this is the story of John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 3, Luke is very, very good about making sure that we have a very good understanding of what took place. And, and he did a very careful analysis and, and he, he did a very careful uh, re- research in getting the information to us. And starting in verse 2 of chapter 3, in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 2, it says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Kelphus, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all regions, into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and the flesh shall see the salvation of God. One of the things that you see in those that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they always refer to the word of God. They always go back and bring it to this is what has happened. This is what is going on now. God said it. Here it is. It's being done, and, and here I am fulfilling what God has called me to do. In verse 7, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And Paul is basically saying, you know that there is a wrath to come. You know, and this was just common knowledge. God's wrath is coming down on the wicked. Unfortunately for a lot of the Jews, they believed they were immune to it. It's everybody else that's going to get God's wrath, not us, because we are God's people. And he says, he says to them, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and not to begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. What they were saying is we're religious. Abraham is our dad. We, we belong to this very special sect. Everybody else is going to get this wrath. But they came and they says, look, we're okay, but we want to hear what it is that you're saying. And if I have to, I'll get baptized. And John, and John says, no, there needs to be a baptism of repentance. If you're going to get baptized, you have to repent. Well, what do we do? This is exactly what they say. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 10, and the crowds ask, what then shall we do? And what, what, what naturally takes place during repentance is, you know what? I've messed up. I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I've done wrong all my life. According to God's standard, not man's standard, not my own standard. We set up our own standards. And as long as I'm okay and I don't hurt anybody, I'm okay. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not mess. You know, everybody else is okay, but, but that's not the standard that we should be using. God's standard, the law says, 
And this is why we cannot keep the law. And this is why we're in trouble. And this is why Christ has to come. And he gives them a, a very simple process to follow. You know, if you have something to share with somebody, share with them. You know, don't be so greedy. Don't be, share. If you have two tunics, give one away. I guess that would be kind of like, you know, if you have two vehicles, give one away. If you have two homes, give one away. If you have two of anything, you know, give it away. You know, give something of value to somebody else. I'm not recommending that if you have two homes to give them away. I'm just saying that, you know, it's the extreme of what it is that you need to give away. You know, I have two motorcycles. Okay, now you're messing with me, God. Okay, no. You have two motorcycles, give one away. The, the, the principle is share what you have. Make sure that the household of God is taken care of. And then the tax collectors come up and say, well, you know, what do we do? We know we're bad. We have been taxing people left and right. They would tax you if you had two wheels, if you had four wheels. They would tax you if you were walking with the servant or if you had a, a depending if you had what kind of a, a, an animal or a beast of burden that you would have, an ox or a mule, they would tax you on that. They would tax you on all kinds of things. And they would take advantage of it. They were giving, these tax collectors were given a portion of the region. And the Roman Empire says, that's yours. You go collect. We want, let's just put a dollar figure on it. We want $5,000 a year just for that portion. So as long as you get us our $5,000, you do whatever it is that you want. And these guys got rich. And John says, stop doing that. You know, he didn't say stop taxing. You got to notice that. We still have to pay our taxes. But what Paul was telling the tax man is I wish our tax man would read this. Uh, I wish our IRS would read this. Is to stop doing it excessively. Don't overreach. And, and the soldiers would come up and say, well, what do we do? Well, you know, soldiers were probably the, the police at that time. You know, stop extorting and exhorting. Stop extorting people. Stop, stop taking advantage of people. And so Paul, excuse me, John gave them very clear directions. See, when you have repentance in your life, this is what happens. First of all, you, you look at and you see, okay, what takes place? True repentance. This is what happens. Turn with me one more time to Acts chapter 2. Because Luke is good at, at, at putting this together. When he's talking, in, and he wrote the book of Acts as well. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. Now, prior to this, Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit came down, filled these men, and people were hearing in their languages. And people that claim to speak in languages, these are the languages that they spoke. They don't speak the babble that's going on right now. That is not what was spoken. What was spoken was intelligible languages that these 16 nations were able to hear. And ever since then, after the Holy Spirit filled somebody, it gave them the ability to speak another language so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be continued out forward. And as these men received this gift of the Holy Spirit as confirmation that something new was taking place, everybody looked around and they said to them, these guys are drunk. You know, Paul says, it's not even happy hour yet. What are you talking about? It's, the time hasn't even come yet. You know, not that they weren't drinking, but that, that is, it's too early in the morning. It's, it's three o'clock somewhere, right, in the world? And, and so as they were talking and preaching, the people were listening. And Paul says, you know, this Jesus Christ. He says, this is what you, in, in 32, this Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He goes back and he talks about uh, Joel, the prophecy of Joel. He goes back and he says, these are the things that are going to happen. And they have another Bible study. They use scripture to back up what it is that's taking place. 
And then in verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And here it is. He says in verse 36, he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Jesus you crucified, the one that you have been denying all your life, the one that you should be submitting to. Every nation will praise his name. Whether they want to or not, God's purpose is to be glorified by everyone. And we know that that's not taking place yet. But that song we sang and that verse that where it comes from, that prophecy, it will take place. And that's all God wants is your praise and worship, your acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord. And every nation will cry out and every knee will bow and every knee will bow that Jesus and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And at this point, these men were cut to the heart. See, this is what the Word of God does. It cuts you to the heart. And repentance takes place, number one, when I recognize my sin. Number one, when I recognize my sins. If you have your outlines, you may want to take it out now because this is what takes place. Brothers, when they said, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, I know that there's a thought out there that we should be baptized only, only by the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what it says, and that's what we have. I've had several arguments with people. And you have to understand that Paul was talking to the Jewish sect. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was put aside. Paul is describing to them, excuse me, Peter is describing to them what it is that they need to do. Well, first of all, you need to let loose of all these traditions and everything else that you have going on and understand that the Messiah, the one that's supposed to save the world, you crucified him. So baptize yourself in his name. Later on, we come to find out, Jesus had said, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's to the Greek community. It's important to understand who Paul is speaking to. And we, we went through that in the book of Acts, and we talked a lot about that, and how all of this came to play. So it's important to understand that, number one, I need to recognize my sin. What do I do? You see, a lot of people recognize their sin and say, I'm sorry, it won't happen again. That's not repentance. You know, I'm sorry I got caught. It's like my son one time called one of my daughters stupid. I says, don't, don't do that. Don't call her that. Tell her you're sorry. He says, well, I'm sorry you're stupid. It's, it's not blaming them either for their misunderstanding. You misunderstood what I was trying to say and convey. I mean, that's just you. Some people repent that way. You know, they, they, they kind of push it aside and they make them be the bad guys, you know? He's learned by now. See, see, the word of God came to John, and when he went to all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Repentance is key. And it is recognizing that you're a sinner. It's unbelievable on how a lot of Christians, they think, well, you know, I, I know I'm bad, but it's all right. God, God loves me anyways. You know, I mean, you know, God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. Well, beloved, it's unfortunate, but it's the sinner that God has sent into hell. He's the one that's going to be, she's the one that they're going to pay for all eternity, separated from hell, from God, from hell, in hell. And, and, it's, and it's amazing that a lot of people think, you know, well, you know, God knows my heart. He knows my heart. Yes, it's wicked. It's evil. It's deceitful. It's lying to you. But, you know, it's only a little bit of sex. We're going to get married. Yeah, but it, it's still not right. You know, I, I didn't mean to lie that much. 
It was only a pen that I took for my job. You know, and it just goes on and on. And we minimize the consequences of true repentance. Repentance is, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I can't be trusted. I recognize that I need a savior. And repentance just doesn't happen once and for all. We grow in it and we develop in it. And this is one of the things that happens is number two is, is I realize, I realize that I am under God's wrath. I realize that I'm under God's wrath. And because I'm under God's wrath, there's something that has to take place in my life. In Romans chapter two, it says, but for those who are self-seeking, did you know that that was a sin? Seeking just myself, what I want, and do not obey the truth, but they, but obey unrighteousness. They will be, there will be wrath and fury. I, I got to stop being so self-righteous, so self-centered, so self-seeking in, in my things and give back to God what's rightfully His, which is my heart. In Ephesians 5, 6, it says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't let nobody say to you, it's okay, just come to Jesus just as you are. Don't worry about it. You know, just, just you know, it's, it's okay if you're, if you're going to stay that way. You know, we don't care what you look like. You know, well, we don't either. But we do care that you change. You can come as you are all you want, but once you're in, you gotta change. There's gotta be genuine repentance. Recognize that you're a sinner and recognize that you're under God's wrath. That's what repentance is. The notion of some of that, uh, that, that some people are suffering within this world, you know, or that God is not gonna send anybody to hell. You, you know, and some people think, I was told this yesterday that, you know, I'm in my own personal hell right now. This is my personal hell. When I get to heaven, it's gonna be heaven. No, this is not hell. And you'll hear that quite often. The Bible clearly and unmistakably teaches, in graphic terms, the reality of an eternal punishment. Jesus, who preached more about hell than he did about heaven, he, he describes hell as the place of where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Somebody asked me, well, what if I don't have any teeth? Well, teeth will be provided. Just so you can gnash them. In Mark chapter 9, he says, uh, Jesus is saying, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where there, where there is worm, do not die, and the fire is not quenched, for everyone will be salted with fire. Now, are you going to be salted for barbecue or for savoring is the question. We're all going to be salted, but in what capacity? When the centurion came to Jesus and says, can you heal my, my daughter, my, my, my servant? And, and Jesus says, okay, well, let me, let me go to your place. He says, you know, no, 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 I'm a man of authority. And I know that all you have to do is say the word and it is done. And Jesus says, I haven't seen this kind of faith anywhere. You know, we're preaching the gospel and people are just taking it back and forth. And, and in verse 12 of Matthew 8, he says, while the sons of this kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Over and over again, Jesus talks about the severity of it, where it's at. It's dark, a lake of fire. We hear this and we have to understand that Jesus is very serious. God is very serious. The Bible is very serious of the separation that if we do not repent, that is where we're going to end up at. That is the reality of it. Number three, you know, when repentance happens in my life, when repentance happens in your life, I need to reject my religious rituals. I need to reject my religious rituals. John tells the, the people that were coming to him in Luke chapter 3, he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham. 
as our father. I belong to this church. I belong to, you know, my mom was a, was a church-going person. Therefore, I should be a church-going person. There, there for many years, people thought just because you were in the United States, you were a Christian, that God was going to take care of you. And many people thought just because, you know, I've gone to church all my life, I should be okay. I need to reject that religious ritual. You know, and for some people, I mean, it could be a different uh a different denomination, a different type of understanding. If it's not in God's word, then we just don't do it. We don't, we don't go about what people say that we religiously have to do. And so, and I don't know, I mean, when we first started our church, and, and I don't know how it is with some pastors that do this, you know, but everybody uh, within our denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, most people start their church at 11 o'clock in the morning. And that was religiously done. As a matter of fact, this building right here from where those poles are at, back to the front part of the church building, this, is, this was a traditional cookie-cutter church, as you can see. And, and they had, you know, as you can see, we, we've kind of changed it, modernized it a little bit, but that's just the way it was. We didn't start at 11 o'clock. We, we're starting at 1030. You know, because we, you know, we're not wearing suits and ties, you know, but everybody else, it's just, there's all these rituals. And I'm just talking about within this community. But you go out a little further to other communities and there's rituals and rites and things that you have to do that, yes, come as you are, but no, not like that. You know, d- dress the way you want to dress. Yeah, yeah, but don't put that on. <laughs> you know, and, and there's certain things that are spoken and unspoken. And, and we have to get rid of those religious rituals. If you've not repented, if you don't recognize your sin, if you don't recognize your wretchedness, if you don't recognize the wrath of God is upon you and you don't repent from that, then then, you know, no ritual, no religion, no, no anything. See, I understand what people mean. Uh, or at least I think I understand what they're trying to say when they say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. You know, I understand what they're trying to get across. You know, we're not, we're not about rituals and we're not about religion and, and all those things, but it minimizes that relationship, it minimizes what was taking, what took place on the cross. It minimizes the cruel suffering that Jesus Christ took. It minimizes my sin and it minimizes what I have to give up. It minimizes what takes place in my life, but what the Bible says that I must do, I must change. I must change. So I need to reject my religious rituals. Number four, I need to reveal my spiritual transformation. There's gotta be growth. When you repent it, there's gotta be growth. I've met people that says, I've been a Christian for 10 years. No, brother, actually, you've been a one-year-old Christian 10 times. You have, there's no growth. The same fears, the same worries, the same anxieties, the same problems at home, the same struggles. What's changed? You must grow. You have to be different. When Nicodemus came to Jesus Christ and he said to him, you know, uh, we know that you're a man that comes from God because no one can do the things that you do. Jesus didn't respond and say, well, yes, of course I come from God. Look, I can show you some more things that I can do. No, Jesus went straight to the heart of the issue and said, no one can enter the kingdom of God. Nowhere did Nicodemus ever ask him about the kingdom of God or or what it takes to get in. But Jesus said, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. You have to be a brand new baby, spiritually speaking. You've got to wipe the slate clean and say, okay, there's got to be some transformation. Something new has to happen within my life. I got to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. You see, doing the bearing of the fruit and doing works is not going to get you saved. But your salvation, your repentance, your genuine repentance is going to be reflected by the bearing of fruits. Does that make sense? 
You cannot get saved by bearing fruits. But if you're saved, and if you genuinely repented, there's got to be fruits. There's got to be fruits. And unfortunately for a lot of people that are listening to, to me with, within the sound of my voice, they don't have that fruit. Now, I'm not going to go around saying, okay, well, you, you not, maybe not you. you know. It is my responsibility. If you call yourself a church member of this church, it's my responsibility as your pastor to, uh, to at least come up to you and say, there's something not quite clicking here. What can I do to help you? You have to understand you have to bear fruits. That's just all there is to it. The, the, as as um, John was speaking, I tell you, I get this COVID fog. As John was speaking to the people, he says, you know, the, 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 the axe is at the tree and it's going to knock down everything that doesn't bear fruit. The father, who, who is the wine, the vine dresser, he's pruning everything that does not bear fruit. In the last days, when Jesus is talking about the tares, the weeds and the wheat, and how one guy, one manager, he plants the wheats, and somebody comes in the middle of the night and plants weeds, and they both grow up. The disciples ask him, Jesus, tell us about that parable. He says, well, the wheat, of course, is the, is the son of man and of God, and those that are, are the wheats are the unrighteous. That, that are, and so we're not going to cut them all down now. But what we'll do is at the end time, we'll cut them everything down, and then we'll sift it all out. There is fruit that has to be, that you have to bear. And unfortunately for a lot of people, they bear fruit, but not in accordance to their repentance. They bear fruit in accordance to the world. And do you know that the world blasphemes God because of the actions of God's children? And God is glorified amongst the Gentiles when our actions glorify God. But people look at Christians that have not genuinely repented, or if you want to call them Christians at all, I don't know, but there is no repentance, no evidence of repentance, and they say stuff like, yeah, if that's what a Christian is like, I, why would I be one? I'm, I'm doing okay. I don't have to give up my Super Bowl Sunday, right? I can be at home right now and just taking care of things. Every Sunday, for that matter. I work six days a week. Come on, it's only Sunday. I reveal my spirituality and how it grows. Therefore, in the back of your outlines, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Brand new. Different. Not the same old, same old. Different. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul says to the people in Philippi, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. You're no longer that old person. You're a new person. And whatever God put in you, He's going to see it unto completion. The question is, have you become a new person or are you still the old person? Well, there's no way that this second part of the verse is going to work. You, God cannot see anything completed in your life if this part hasn't been taken care of. Genuine, true repentance. Repentance. You've heard it from me before. It's the change of mind. Metanoia. It's a Greek word, changing of the mind. Changing, and, and, we, and we say something similar to, you know, you're going in one direction, you change your mind, you go another direction. You know, and, and some say that, that that sounds superficial, and it kind of does, you know, but if you really just focus on what that means and how to put it into practice, then you'll, st you'll start to get a better idea of what it is that God intends for us to do when we repent. I think one of the greatest examples of repentance in the Bible is a, a man named Saul. 
a man named Saul. Go with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Familiar story. You know this story. I'm going to kind of give you the, the bullet points. Verse 1, it says here, but Saul, but now you know who he is, right? But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now let me at least stop right there. He was breathing threats. Now I'm sure he wasn't going, threat, threat, murder. Okay, this is a euphemism for saying, you know, he was just emotionally charged. He was just filled with this rage and this anger that I'm just going to kill those guys. See, in his mind, he really believed that he had to get rid of this sect that has just perpetuated itself throughout the whole kingdom, and he's, I'm going to do whatever it takes. As a matter of fact, right before this verse, he stands there in approval of one that is being stoned and being killed and martyred. You know, people say that God wants your best life for you right now. If somebody ever tells you that, point them to Stephen. What happened there? Point him to Stephen, how in the midst of the struggle and the pain and the rocks, he rolls his hands up and he says, I see heaven parting. And I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Standing, it's the only time you see Jesus standing. The Bible says that he went and sat at the right hand, but Jesus stood in approval. That's what I want. I want Jesus' approval, not man's approval. And he was just breathing these threats, emotionally charged, waiting to go. And he goes to his bosses and says, give me some more letters. I want to get these guys and I want to bring them in shackles and do whatever you want with them because we got to eradicate this sect. And it says here, and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And that was his thinking. He was emotionally charged, and his thought process, and his idea, and his thinking was, you know, this is what I know. I know what I know. When you, when you go back and listen to the message on Paul, he was a zealot. He was the Jew of the Jew. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He, he had everything down packed. He was probably in line to be the next high priest, and he was shooting for it. And this transformation that takes place in Paul's life had, had, was radical from this to this. He knew legalism. As he's talking to the people in Galatia, he knows legalism. He knows what it, how it just enslaves you. He knows what legalism can do because he lived it. And, and now he went on the way. He approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, in his mind, he believed that the Christians were the enemies of God. In his mind, he believed that the Christians were the enemies of God's people. In his mind, he believed that Christians should be in prison or killed. He went to, to hunt them down, to get rid of them. He went because he thought in his mind that is what was supposed to happen and that Jesus Christ was a false prophet. And on the way to Damascus, as you know, Saul had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? If you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, your thinking should change. Metanoia. Your mind should change. Your emotions should change. Your will should change. Because His will was, I'm going. 
I'm walking in this direction and I'm going to take whatever it is that has to happen. For metanoia, for repentance to happen in your life, number one, my emotions must change. Your emotions must change. There are, right now is the perfect time to talk about the political system and, and, and just the scene that we're in. Many well-meaning Christians are emotionally charged over the elections. One way or the other. It's like the emotions have just gotten a hold of people that it, it has caused this strain and this division. And, and some people really truly believe that, you know, God messed up. What happened? How was it that, you know, that God didn't know what was going to happen? We have prophets coming up and saying, guys, I'm sorry. I have to apologize. Uh, I'm a prophet and I prophesied that, that, that he was going to win. And, and I'm sorry, please forgive me. You know, you know, prophets don't get that. It's a one and done. It's a one and done, and that's it. And, and there are people that are so emotionally charged by this, not only elections, by what they believe. When I talk to them about your, your lifestyle, when I talk to them about the things that are going on in their life, and, and people are emotionally charged, Paul's emotions changed. As he was breathing these murderous threats. See, we think that by coming to church and giving our sacrificial time here on Sunday morning, will please God. But God says in uh, Psalms 51, the sacrifices of God are broken spirit. Broken, knowing that I cannot stand in the presence of God only by the blood of Jesus Christ. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. A little bit later, he sa- earlier he says, you know, you do not desire bulls and sacrifices of rams and all this gold and everything that I can bring. All I do is to the rock I cling. That's what I do. Galatians 5, we're going to get into this later, but I say, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the, of the flesh. The desires, the emotions that, that drive us into this world and into the things around us. If we walk by the Spirit, that won't happen. Number two, my thinking must change. My thinking must change. He went to the high priests and asked them for letters to the synagogues of Damascus. He says, I think I can do this. I think I can change. I, I can make this happen. I can get rid of this sect if he just let me go. See, your thinking has to change. See, true repentance is your emotions change. Your thinking change. And the last thing I want to share with you is that your will, my will will change. Right before that, in Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Over and over again, we're talked about, we're shown what it means to repent. And Paul is adamant about talking to people about repentance and how it is that it changes your mind. And when these Galatians are now turning to a whole new different gospel, and the people, the Judaizers, is what we peg them as, what they call them, these Judaizers were telling the people in these churches, before you can become a Christian, you have to be Jewish first. So the first step is the ritual of circumcision. And here's a booklet on all the rules and regulations that we have and all the holidays that we celebrate and all the things that we do in order for you to be Jewish. Paul says, what got into you? I'm just astounded. That I'm astounded. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm confused. Why would you give all that up? We have talked about the Reformation, Martin Luther. Many of you guys probably don't even know who Martin Luther was or who he is. But his whole thesis was on genuine repentance by grace alone, by the word of God. His whole thesis that nailed up on the, on the door of the church on October 31st. He didn't put it up there because it was Halloween. 
which it might have been. I don't know what they celebrated back then in the 1500s. But the reason it was put on October 31st is because the very next day was All Saints Day and everybody was coming to church. And he says, I want everybody to see this. Let's get the church back on track. And all the people got together, all the priests and the, the Pope and everyone else. Said, okay, well, let's, let's have a convention. And he says, why don't you come in and bring us you know, your debate? And we'll have a debate. Well, he knows that Melanchthon, the, the, one of his friends prior to that, was asked to come forward and, and do the same thing. But right away, they pegged him as a heretic and they executed him. Luther says, I'm not going. But we have to be transformed by our minds. And my will must change. My will must change. For, for some days in Damascus, in, in Acts chapter 9, if you continue going, he was with the disciples there. And he was no longer moving forward. As a matter of fact, the, the one person that he was trying to persecute, now he had a personal relationship with him. And that's what a personal relationship does. It changes your emotion. It changes your will. It changes your mind. When you have a genuine, true encounter with Jesus Christ, that is a picture of repentance. I can go to Zacharias. Zacharias was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Yeah, okay. Oh, come on, man. That was my theology. I... Oh, you guys know it's a kid song. Huh? Okay. Well, anyways, you know, and, and Zacharias says, I want to see Jesus. He climbs up, a, up to a tree and Jesus looks up and he says, Zacharias, get down from there. They can see under your robe. No, get down from there. Get out of there. Get down. I want to have dinner at your house. And what does Zacharias do? He was a tax collector and he automatically says, I'm going to give half my, my income, everything that I've earned, I'm going to give it to the poor. And everybody else that I've wronged, I'm going to give it back to them. I'm going to give it back to them. Jesus says, I tell you, salvation has entered this house today. Repentance. Repentance. I mean, we can find these over and over again in Scripture. You have to have a change of heart. You have to be going in a whole different direction. There needs to be fruit to show that you have believed. Because until then, there is no genuine belief. Because, as you know, even the demons believe. And they shudder. Some people that call themselves Christians, they don't even shudder at their sin. They don't even think, yeah, God knows. We got this, we got this all squared away. We, him and I, we, we have this understanding. They don't even shudder. They don't even take a second thought at how they live in their sin. And everybody seems to believe, but that's not true belief. True belief happens when repentance takes place. And repentance happens when the gospel is presented in a way that we understand that we're vile, wicked sinners and that only Jesus Christ can save us. That's when it takes place. And the rest of it is just growth. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, continue to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Continue. This is a process that, that happens. That, that you have been called and that, that it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not that anyone would boast. So that you are now God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You need to do good works. You are, you, you are the light. You are the light of this world. So that you can do good works. So that the Father can be glorified. James says, how many of you say you got, you got faith? Well, I have faith. Let me see your works. It's not a salvation by works, but it's works because of salvation. Salvation is solely by the grace of God. He's the one that gives it to us. The evidence of that salvation is the works, is the fruits. 
Beloved, I believe that when this church starts to move in that salvation that you profess that you have, people will be drawn. I want that. These guys are immovable. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of stuff happening. There's no stress. There's no worry. COVID? What about COVID? You know, that pastor, did he just have COVID? Isn't he afraid? Where's, what's he doing out there? What about the people that are there? Aren't they? No, we're going to stand firm and let nothing move us because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And in, in recognition of what Jesus Christ has done for us, died on the cross, shed his blood, we honor him by remembering him every Sunday. Every Sunday for us is a resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday for us is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done. And so we honor him and we move forward in that. And so today, being the first Sunday, the first Sunday that we're back, first Sunday of the month, we have what we call the Lord's table. Some people call it the sacraments. Some people call it uh, communion. Uh, it's the Lord's table. They're symbols of salvation. And we have what's called an open um, Lord's table. We have open communion, meaning that if you're not a member of this church, you can still partake within with us. The only thing that I ask is that you understand that you've gone through this process. And if you have gone through this process, then yes, I believe that you should partake of this. Because at this moment, I am giving you an opportunity to sin gravely against the body of Christ if you partake of this in an unworthy manner. And that worthy manner is to recognize that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. He died on the cross. I'm not saying that you're perfect, that you recognize what Jesus Christ has done. If today you come to realize, you know, that's, that's me. I'm a vile, wretched sinner. I, you know, I, I, and, and the Word of God just pierced your heart. Then I want to encourage you to come and talk to me afterward. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, come forward, raise your hand. You know, because that's not what Peter did. When Peter was asked, what shall we do? He didn't ask everybody to bow their heads. He didn't ask Ryan to come up and play the piano or the keyboard or, the, uh, or anything. He didn't ask for music to be played. What he said is repent. And if, that message is, if this message has affected you today, that's all you have to do is repent. And let that be genuine repentance. So open communion. If you're in that, according to what Scripture says, I'm going to ask you to please partake. If not, if you're not sure, if you're not ready, if you, it's okay. No one's going to sit here and judge you. In conclusion, let's turn to... I believe we should have it up here, Numbers chapter 6. And if you remember it by heart, we're, we are doing the, uh, the priestly prayer. But this is the priestly prayer all together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this opportunity that we have to fellowship as a family. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together that we continue to have many more of these. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're dismissed. All right.